det er så mye som sies om Midtøsten at jeg bestemte meg for å reise ned hit for å oppleve det selv. Og Israel er et sammensatt, mangfoldig og bemerkelsesverdig land. En smeltedigel mellom øst og vest. Her er det kristne, jøder og arabere som lever sammen i et demokrati som er over 60 år gammelt. Dette skal bli veldig spennende. Vi er på vei til Jerusalem for å snakke med noen av Midtøstens ledende stemmer om alt som skjer her, som er så annerledes enn mange tror i Vesten. Vi leser så mye om denne regionen, som ikke alltid stemmer med virkeligheten, og forstå verden fra deres vinkel blir kanskje desto viktigere. I dag skal vi møte en kjent professor i statsvidenskap og leder for NGO Monitor. Han deltar i TV-programmer og gir forelesninger over hele verden. Jeg vil spørre ham om den arabiske våren, og hvorfor vi i Vesten tok så feil da vi naivt trodde at radikale islamister ville bringe frihet og demokrati. USA foreign policy has the past years shifted towards a very idealistic view on the Middle East, hoping to achieve democracy, Western democracy, human rights by regime change in a number of countries and we've seen that hasn't worked as well as the West hoped in the so-called uh, Arab Spring. What do you think or to what degree do you think Henry Kissinger has a point when he points out that the West really should be more realistic and have a greater respect for the national sovereignty of each nation? I think that Henry Kissinger is exactly right. I would even make it a stronger statement. I think he was a little bit cautious in this. And it's not only in the United States, it's Europe in general, certainly Western Europe. And in some ways what we see is an Obama administration in Washington following the lead of Western Europe, certainly in the post-Cold War period, in lacking realism and in thinking that Western liberal values and political systems, Western democracies, which grew in a very specific cultural, historic environment, could be just pecked up and, and applied into other parts of the world, particularly the Middle East. The, the cultural background, the historical background, the identity, everything else is so incredibly different in, in this region of the world in the Middle East. I think we need to be cognizant of that. Western Europe went through tremendous conflicts and, and realism only grew out that the system of Westphalia and nation states and the idea of national sovereignty 
and some degree of live and let live, the end of the Protestant Catholic wars that took so long. And then we saw that the terrible uh, period of fascism, Nazism, the Holocaust. So Europe is, is relatively new at this game, and it's only part of that European development. The Middle East is very, very different. And what we see is a, a president in the United States with the, you talked about the idealistic view, the liberal view, the progressive view, that everybody wants to be democratic, he thinks, and everybody needs to have an opportunity to, for self-definition, um, for, for independence, but also for uh, negotiating, for living in peace. And this is a very idealistic, unrealistic image of the way in which nation states in general, and the Middle East in particular, act. The racial awareness uh, and the feeling of racial supremacy uh, is stronger in Europe also today and may also be one of the reasons why we have assumed that everybody in the world would want to become like us because we feel a certain supremacy. That walking the streets of, of some, I was in Brussels not too long ago and I do have that sense that also or in London that the dominant establishment view was that they must become like us and, and if they're not becoming like us then we did something we did something wrong and we can fix it I and mean, it wasn't that they're fundamentally different and don't want to be like us and I think that that's part of not being honest with yourselves not saying okay it's not going to be just like if you go to Morocco Tunisia Syria someplace else you're going to be in a dominant Muslim society and therefore what we will have if we have other cultures there are um, more like cultural autonomy, which until all of the current chaos, Christians had auto cultural autonomy. They were second class citizens, but they had autonomy, and, and even Jews had for many hundreds of years in the Middle East autonomy within that framework. Det er noe ved Damaskusporten og majestetiske Jerusalem med sine vakre, sandbrune stener som minner oss om europeiske middelalderborger og storhetstid. Hit kom folkeslagene for å tilbe Gud. Jerusalems historie strekker seg flere tusen år tilbake. Byen var Israels hovedstad under kong David rundt år 1000 før Kristus. Den ble siden dominert av babylonere, persere og romere fra 60 før Kristus. Fra 600-tallet og 1300 år fremover ble Jerusalem en del av det arabiske storriket. Dette er en replika av en gammel oljelampe som var funnet over hele Israel. Dette ble brukt i det gamle tempelet. Ble brukt. Og her er en såkalt mora, en lysestake som ble brukt. The question also then becomes, is the West actually helping by meddling into other regions' affairs or are we making things worse? I'm thinking about uh, Samuel Huntington and his point, Clash of Civilizations, where he spoke about the fact that cultures are so different that they tend to not understand each other sufficiently and because of that we do get conflicts. Well we do live in a global world and it's also true for war and peace issues. 
so that a nuclear weapon in Iran affects everybody. Our uh, missile attacks and, and the fighting in, in Syria and hundreds of thousands of refugees, millions of refugees, uh, many of them desperate to get to Europe, they, the oil, everything else is connected to everything. So we can't, nobody, not Europe, not the United States, not Russia, not China, can say, well, let the Middle East, let them all fight each other, it's none of our business and we can't do anything. So that, that would be a very radical and I think mistaken perspective. The West can certainly say we are democratic and we believe democratic systems are the best. We support human rights, we support the right of any, any people to live in freedom and independence without being uh, attacked by its neighbors. But that doesn't mean that the West can then overthrow Saddam Hussein or the Taliban in Afghanistan and create a Western-style democracy. That's where the realism has to come in. So I think, yes, you pursue your interests. I think that uh, to some degree George W. Bush was correct in overthrowing the regime of Saddam Hussein, but then trying to impose a different political system, that was a failure and we see the costs of that. No action is bad. What Obama's done by staying away from Syria has just increased the number of deaths, terrible destruction. At the same time, it's very, the, uh, the goals that were set by the George W. Bush administration were far too uh, idealistic, also too difficult to reach. So somewhere there has to be something in the middle. And I think the United States has lost the ability to find that middle ground and Europe also has lost that ability. Yes, because it's quite remarkable when we look at, for example, the Arab Spring and all the positiveness that uh, was around that, particularly we were happy about the Muslim Brotherhood coming to power. We saw it as an automatic thing that there would be freedom for the people. And today in Europe, there is, we don't speak so much. There's not that much in the media about it because we've seen that we were wrong and that it has turned into an Arab winter, you might say, for so many nations. Uh, how could the West be this naive? One of the principles that I've been doing for 30 years is this concept of looking at other countries as if you're looking at a mirror, and that's a big mistake. It's a huge mistake to think that this is what our society, our culture, our people went through 50 years, 100 years, 200 years ago, and therefore we see a similar process now taking place in Egypt or Syria or Iraq or any place else in, in the Middle East or even in China or in Russia. That's a huge mistake. We take the case of Egypt. In Egypt there was an election, but nobody in the West, very few people, including I think President Obama in the United States, understood the context of that election. That election brought to power the Muslim Brotherhood. They're not Democrats. They wanted to impose their radical Islamic views on the rest of the Egyptian people and it would have been a disaster, and the Egyptians didn't want that. This is not a country that has a long history of democracy at all. It's the first time they had any kind of election like this. And the West immediately assumed, aha, this is going to be that moment where they become democratic, like the French Revolution, which also went through its long uh, um, gestation period and its violence, or like the Magna Carta in, in, in the UK or other places like that. It's every country, every culture has to develop its own process. And, and I know this story quite well personally, as a matter of fact, because I am born and raised in Africa. And the neocolonialism uh, in Africa has also been the a problem, uh, the culture of dependency. And there has been such a growing number of Africans who say we prefer the Chinese. 
because they don't come to hand out uh, suitcases with money and, and we don't have to like be the one begging for something anymore, but they build roads and they help our countries prosper. That's an African sentiment. Uh, and strong with the journalists as well. It's, you know, they say we don't want this culture of dependency anymore. I wonder if we could have a real conversation, not you and I, but a conversation in Europe, a serious, long-lasting conversation exactly on that issue. It seems to me that this culture of dependency as a form of neo-colonialism is so deeply built in into the European structure. Every European, Western European country has a massive aid agency. Uh, in Norway, I think it's called NORAD. And it tends to support radical political groups that are in the European image. Uh, and it does tremendous damage. Even you hear this in, among Palestinians, they're a small group and, and sometimes they are threatened and, and hurt by other Palestinians because they object to this culture of NGOs being dependent on Europe. How do we get a conversation like this started? And perhaps by having this discussion that you and I are having, other people will begin to listen to this and, and say, let's take a look at, are we doing the right thing? Or are we simply serving our own ideological needs, our religious needs, in promoting these types of um, damaging policies. Uh, we, we have had a very strong socialist way of thinking in Europe and we uh, idealize revolutions and you know weapons and at the time of the Muslim Brotherhood when they came to power we also had the current leader of the Labour government, uh, Labour Party in Norway, Jonas Gostere, who was foreign minister at the time. He had the Muslim Brotherhood visiting uh, Norway and paying for their trip to teach them about democracy. So I think there is something in the European that likes to help in a condescending way instead of respecting the other person he is talking to, especially if that other person comes from another culture. For both parties it's, a, it's an addiction and um, partly it's also we want people to be like us. It's um, and that is, we live a good life, we're democratic, we're open, we have a very prosperous, and therefore we want other people to enjoy that, which is a nice sentiment, but it comes with far too much baggage. It doesn't work. You know, each society has to develop it for itself to, to really earn that. At the other end of the scale, I would say the problem here is also that when you provide aid or you provide leadership, what you think is leadership for peace, there are not a lot of Israelis who really would say Oslo, the Oslo process. We think about the Oslo process, 1993, as a disaster, as having allowed the PLO and Arafat to create this terrible terror machine that killed so many people. It's not just Norway, it's Canada, it's other countries that, that played these games as under good, for good intentions, but with terrible outcomes, and not, and not acting responsibly after things go bad just disappearing. Noe av det han sier skremmer meg. Er vi i Vesten ikke så uskyldige som vi vil ha det til? Bidrar vi til vold og terror i denne regionen? Bruker vi vår rikdom og våre politiske systemer til å holde andre nede? Har vi egentlig ikke respekt for de som bor i Midtøsten? Mener vi at deres liv er mindre verdt enn våre?
Ligner vi på det romerske riket som hersket her for så mange år siden? Altså, de snakket sikkert om fred og rettigheter i sine fine politiske taler. Her står vi ved en veldig gammel stein. Innskriften på den er Marcus Maximus. Lenger ned her ser vi at det står den tiende legionen. Dette er fra romertiden, rundt 72 etter Kristus, og er en sterk dokumentasjon i gamle Jerusalem på romerns tilstedeværelse. I think that one of the problems we do have in the modern world today is really the media. The media has become the major or such a battlefield. And I'm thinking about the French philosopher Montesquieu uh, and the way he spoke about the need for separation of powers in order for a democracy to function properly. And the politicization of the media then becomes a problem because we don't get the full view of what is going on. And a number of us also feel there's a censorship that is stronger than what we would have liked to see. And in order to be free and have free speech, there must be a free press. You talked about censorship and you, talked, you mentioned the, the concept, at least, of political correctness. That there's so many issues, key issues, that journalists diplomats, academics, have a, they, they're afraid to talk about these issues or they don't even know enough to talk about these issues. Religion, the role of Islam in, in the Middle East is extremely important and very few journalists for many years were able to talk about this. That was something you couldn't talk about. Again, I talked about Egypt and the elections. There you have the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a, a very um, strong Islamist jihadist organization or Hamas. Uh, in Gaza also, and very few journalists will talk about that. They will talk about the suffering of the people and, and how much large price they paid and, and all of the, the restrictions, but they will not talk about the underlying ideology that leads them to teach their children to kill, to commit suicide, to blow themselves up. The caliphate, that didn't come out of nowhere. The uh, ISIL and ISIS, um, groups and, and the religious, it's not just an, a political ideology, it's a deeply held religious ideology. How many journalists who cover the Middle East talk about the, the basic frame of this, which is that if you're not one of us, if you're not a uh, Muslim, if you're not a Sunni or a Shia, one of the two, if you're not, or even a particular branch of that, a Salafist or something else, then you don't have the right to live. And, and the jihadism is something that's considered to be politically incorrect, and that's censorship. Uh, from my own experience, too, I know that uh, many journalists have told me, too, that I would like to write from this angle, but I cannot do it, so people feel for their jobs, and the political correctness, I think, is a problem that doesn't open up for true information that could have brought uh, more peace, uh, for example, to the Israeli-Palestinian question as well. These are victims, Palestinians are victims, 
Therefore, Israelis are aggressors, and every image we see is reinforced in that sense. Well, you can't understand the conflict or, or help in any way to provide peace because Palestinians become dependent on that uh, refugee status, on the victim status. It's almost like being treated like children. It's patronizing and paternalistic. You can't take care of yourself, so we're going to help you. We, the Europeans, with our humanitarian aid and our, our political experience, will help you against these terrible Israelis who are so powerful. And that's a complete misreading of the reality on the ground. It's hard for me to understand because Israel is the only long-lasting democracy in the region and a well-functioning country. Where does this come from? We're sitting in a building. We're downstairs in the cafe where you were sitting an hour ago. It was, that was a target for a bomb. And there's a plaque on the other end of the names of the victims, young people. We were sitting there having coffee, 2002 probably, and all people in Israel, certainly in Jerusalem, still hear the echoes, anybody who was alive then of those bombs. But because the framing was Palestinians are victims, Israelis are seen, and the pictures are a problem here. Israel is a modern Western country. Israelis lead relatively normal lives compared to Europeans. It's not exotic. Palestinians, Arabs, Muslims are exotic. That's one, one aspect of, their, of the framing, the false framing, the, the distorted framing. And because Israelis do not, they want very much as part, I think, also of a, a Jewish historical framework, we're tired of being victims. So it's extremely hard for journalists, for academics, for politicians, for others to break through that, that, that false framing and see the reality. Uh, the idea that somehow one has to, the, if because they are victims they deserve our help, they must be completely innocent. And because Israelis do not present themselves as victims, then we, they must be much too powerful and, and need to be um, weakened. So what advice would you give to us as Europeans uh, when we, in our media, speak about Israel Palestine, Syria, Egypt. How can we uh, help bring more peace and not more war to this region? What we've talked about, and it's almost like having a mini university class, but first of all, the myths. You cannot understand the Middle East unless you understand the history in depth, and it's so incredibly complicated. So one of the major myths is that Israel is bad because Israel has occupied and settled Palestinian land. Anybody who knows the history, going back to 4,000 years, 2,000 years, the Roman destruction, 2,000 years of occupation, but Jews have always seen this as their nation state, like all the Europeans have nation states. It's not some sort of creation out of the Zionist ideology. That understanding is missing that Arabs rejected a two-state solution and fought to kill and destroy Israel. 1948, that led to the 67 war, a series of wars. Nobody talks about the 67 war when they condemn Israel for settlements and occupation. The fact that Palestinian leaders have never accepted any, any Jewish national sovereignty. 
And that's something that Europeans just don't understand. They don't know. So learning to be humble and saying, I don't really understand this conflict. Let me learn it. Not, I know better than you. And you Israelis, you're not doing the right thing. I'm going to impose my values on you and my limited understanding. And that means journalists, it means politicians, it means academics. The second thing I think we, we need to see an end throughout the West, and we have it somewhat in Israel too, of this political censorship. How can we be free people in an intellectual society of any significance if we, there are such important topics that are not allowed to talk about, that we're immediately accused to shut down the discussion of racism or Islamophobia? Let's be honest with ourselves about this. Let's learn to talk about these and tolerate different points of view. That does not the same thing as hate speech. It's not the same thing as, as getting up and threatening or even using violence. But it does allow for a realistic analysis of what's going on. And I think the third thing which we talked about, which is most important in this, is stop being patronizing. Stop being neo-imperialistic. Aid needs to be weighed very carefully because it's a form of a drug. It's an addiction. It reinforces every part of every dimension of the, the problems, the negative imaging and the negative um, political processes and social processes, the dependency, all of that. And I, I see it so strongly, specifically in Norway. Not only in Norway, I see it throughout Western Europe. But when I look at Norwegian government aid agencies, I look at Norwegian Christian aid agencies, and I look how they function here, all of these problems, all of these myths and distortions are, are in there. And so I would say use that very, very carefully. Don't let it become an industry. And take responsibility. If you say, we want to support peace, and if it doesn't work, what are you going to do about it then if you've actually brought violence and ter terrible suicide bombs and other things? What do you do then? You can't just walk away because you've you have parenthood on it, you have responsibility. So don't go into it unless you think about also what might happen afterwards. Those are just, I think, the logical conclusions of, of this whole discussion that you and I have had. Uh, Christians here have a totally free, open and equal life. And so do Muslims, by the way, and other religions. Even if we had peace with the Palestinians tomorrow, you would still have ISIS and you would still have civil war in Syria and you would still have the problems in Egypt. But we need this peace because it is good for Israel and it is good for the Palestinians. We want peace and we know that peace comes with compromise and we are ready to pay the price of compromise. So what we need are people of goodwill who can help us and the Palestinians reach good negotiations.